presented by the Common Sense Policy Roundtable. Welcome to Common Sense Digest, the podcast that seeks to inject a little common sense into Colorado's policy discussion. Here's your host, Earl Wright. Welcome to the Common Sense Digest podcast, a monthly event we hope you will add to your schedule. My name is Earl Wright, and I am the chairman of the board of Common Sense Policy Roundtable. Thank you for joining us. These are, without a doubt, extraordinary and unprecedented times. Never in our history have we faced a crisis of this nature. First and foremost, we send our thoughts and prayers for recovery and good health to those who are suffering this virus. We also send our deepest gratitude to those health care givers on the front lines of this crisis. You are the ones that are making a difference. As Coloradoans and Americans, we are inherently optimistic. We look toward the future. We're innovative. This crisis albeit unprecedented, is no different. As we face the worst parts of this crisis, we always have an eye on the future, solutions, and innovation. Today's discussion is focused on the future, our economic recovery, and the impact of COVID-19 and what it has had on our lawmakers here in Colorado. Before we consider recovery, we must first understand the facts. This week, CSPR released a new analysis observations on the economic impact of COVID-19 in Colorado. This analysis is part of an ongoing effort to model the data and better understand the economic impact of our economy and the state budget. You can read the full study and find resources, references, and forthcoming analysis of the COVID-19 crisis at www.commonsensepolicyroundtable.org. I've seen this about every issue that we address, but let me say it again. The more you know, the more effective you can be when you engage in discussions, talk to elected officials, and cast your ballot. Let's jump into the issues at hand today. Joining us is the author of that study, Chris Brown. Chris is the Director of Policy and Research for Common Sense Policy Roundtable. I'm also very pleased to introduce State Representative Colin Larson. Representative Larson represents District 22, which encompasses the southern Jeffco County communities of Bomar, Columbine, Dakota Ridge, Kincarl, and Littleton. Let's get started here, and I want to thank both of you for joining us today. Chris, tell us about the latest analysis. Can you put the, the crisis in some kind of context? Yeah, thank you so much, Earl. As you mentioned in your introduction, and I'd like to say before I really get into these remarks is, The work that we do focused on economic impact analysis, and particularly in this case, it does not stand in judgment of any policy or decision that has been aimed at protecting the vital public health interests of Coloradans. We hope that through our economic modeling and continued research that we can help inform policymakers, elected officials on the crucial trade-offs they face when making decisions surrounding public health and maintaining uh, the economic system that provides a livelihood for all Coloradans. So that's, I think, the context that we do our work in. But as it relates to the economic impacts, we saw about two weeks ago the state economists from the governor's budget office and from the legislative council released their quarterly projections for what they expect the economic and budget growth to be. And they were relatively early in this crisis. And those estimates to us jumped out as being probably 
too assume not, not assuming uh, near enough of, a, of an impact of this as, as they acknowledge the long-term risk, which sort of prompted us to continue to get into this type of modeling because the numbers since then in terms of projections on GDP and state revenue are likely only going to decrease. Well, Chris, just a second. But, so let's get into the assumptions so people can understand how you're coming to that conclusion. Can you share with us uh, what was it that they assumed with regards to national GDP growth for uh, this year that might be questionable? Their December forecast, the last forecast they released publicly, uh, assumed about a 1.7% annualized GDP growth for the country. That was revised down in this March release to 1.2%, a significant revision downward. However, given some of the estimates we are seeing now, many forecasters are projecting likely negative growth projections. So those estimates, again, as of two weeks ago, maintained a 1.2% annual GDP growth rate. Well, Chris, before we challenge that, let's understand what would the impact be on the revenues for the state with the revision that the the governor's office did and the legislative council did? So for the next full budget cycle, fiscal year 2021, which would begin July 1st, uh, they projected about right around a billion dollar decrease in uh, revenue, 750 million of that was a reduction in general fund revenue. That revision downward lowered next year's revenue projections by about a billion dollars. Well, it seems to me that if they had a about a billion dollar shortfall, now I, I guess the other question is, is that result in less than what they had available for last year or is that a billion less on something they already had in a budget that was growing that or more? That's spot on, Earl. That is a reduction in the amount that revenue would grow. However, they are still projecting, as again, as of two weeks ago, projecting net revenue growth overall, which again, at this point, we would have to assume would not be the case. If you could, uh, what do you plan to do to try to get a, a maybe a little bit better handle on what reality could be? Because we know things are deteriorating rather quickly with regards to the uh, U.S. economy. Are you running any uh, scenarios or analysis that would look at the uh, state budget and revenues that the state would have if uh, things weren't quite as good as they anticipate in their forecast? Even since we released our work and while we were in the midst of releasing some of our early scenarios last week, we have been taking steps to update the models we run to account for those revisions downward in GDP. I might pose a question to you or push it back to you, as I know in your work, you are studying these issues very closely as well. So I'd be curious to know sort of what you're seeing in revisions on the overall growth forecast. We are very optimistic with regards to uh, the growth for the calendar year 2020, which is different than the fiscal year, of course. And we think there's a lot of legitimacy in the in the second quarter being anywhere between 15 and 20% down. And this uh, first quarter of this year uh, being also negative, which would mean that uh, for the year as a whole, the third and fourth quarter of the year of 2020, for it to be flat or a little down, you'd have to have a pretty strong third and fourth quarter. And 
it uh, we're not all that optimistic that that'll materialize. So we see the calendar year possibly being two and a half to three percent down as far as the uh, GDP for the country being at that level. Also, 2021, the first half of 2021, things will start to pick up, but it'll be kind of tough for the consumer to get back into the economy and feel comfortable spending like they had before, even with the additional uh, fiscal stimulus. If the state is correct on their forecast, and we'll work from that, what would be the impact on employment and income for the individual? So I, I, I want to acknowledge, I think the two projections I mentioned and that we're discussing here, they recognized the downside risk. And, I, and, I, and even in our work that we released, acknowledging that we expect that they would have to revise their estimates downward, either in their June forecast or possibly as an interim, depending on you know what the legislature requests of them. And again, let me just put that budget in context. That $750 million revision d- uh, downward in total revenue, last year, in the last full budget cycle, the general fund transferred uh, $495 million to transportation. And the rough cost of the expansion in the recent policy for state to cover full-day kindergarten is right around $250 million. So the size of the reduction in revenue from just the forecast that was released last week would be the size of the total general fund transfer to transportation and the cost of the state funding of full-day kindergarten combined. We expect this revision that we'll see at some point to be even more significant. Chris, I, I want to get to another point. That's the fiscal, uh, new fiscal stimulus package that was passed. But before we get to will be the benefit for the state, let's continue on the path of Colorado's own forecast from their own folks. If that forecast they have were to materialize, and we think it might be optimistic, what is the impact on employment? On an annual basis, they did not modify their unemployment assumptions. And so they assume that over the year, the unemployment rate would remain just above 3%. What we are seeing now is a severe reduction in employment in, in the very short term. The question remains how long this will last, which will ultimately translate to how how many jobs are lost sort of on an annual average basis. But at this point, they have not offered any additional insight into the jobs impacts from their estimates alone. Well, I know that in your study, you said that if there, you, you identified four sectors that would, are being impacted significantly uh, by COVID-19, and that had to uh, do with the retail, arts, entertainment, recreation, food services and drinking, et cetera. And you had to look at it. So a 50% reduction under this COVID-19, you suggested that there would be 183,000 jobs that could be lost. Put that, put that in some perspective for us, if you would, please. It's really staggering. I think those projected job figures represent about 4.5% of total jobs throughout the state. Undoubtedly, they are the most significantly impacted industries because of the policies we're seeing to impose social distancing that have effectively reduced tourism, reduced large events, 
um, eliminated, you know, dining within restaurants. But just those 183,000 jobs represents essentially the entire population. It's equivalent to the entire population of Fort Collins and Littleton. We can think of, well, four and a half percent might not sound large to some, but when you put that in that context, this is um, incredibly disruptive. And as we look across other sectors now being directly impacted, we, we expect those numbers to climb. Another, a national think tank as of yesterday put out some estimates of their projected job loss. They assume the direct job loss as a result of COVID-19 was in the range of 260,000 jobs across Colorado by early summer. The numbers coming from multiple sources are pointing to massive employment disruptions in the near term, how this plays out again over the full calendar year will really depend upon how long we face these very extreme uh, social distancing measures. One of the things I want to bring up, though, before we scare everybody to the point where they're saying, my gosh, maybe uh, we ought to go to the mountains and try to live there for a few years, is that we have this new fiscal package coming out of Washington, D.C., and there is going to be some money that's going to be made available to the state. Now, what I don't know is it's going to be available for the fiscal year 2019 or fiscal year 2020. Do You, you have done some research to find out how much uh, would likely be available for Colorado, at least from the best source. How much is that fiscal package uh, likely to give to Colorado, at least based on your best information at the present time? There are multiple facets to the economic stimulus that will impact individuals, towards businesses, and directly at, to state government by one estimate from the federal fund and states, they presume that about $2.2 billion would be directed to Colorado's state and local governments uh, for discretion, their use in their discretion. That's about $1.2 billion to the state government. That would be, again, on top of the household stimulus checks we, we're talk, we're, we are hearing about and the extension of very low interest loans to businesses. So in effect, we don't know, we know that that those funds will be available in the second quarter. We have yet to know if that's going to be used to uh, plug holes for the 2019 fiscal expenditures or if it's going to be how much of that will be available for 2020. But help is on the horizon. Chris, if we could, I think one of the things that we all need to make certain people on the call understand is that this EBIS that we're looking at that we have to go through to 2022 or the late latter part of 2021, like a lot of us think is going to occur before we get back to a, a level of economic expansion in the country that we had before, probably 2022, will result in more likely than not us coming close to where we were before this whole thing started in January and in the fourth quarter of last year, which was a pretty good economy, growing at around 2, 2.2, 2 to 5 percent. I believe the last quarter, fourth quarter, came in at 2.1. And for us to get back to that level again is certainly reasonable if the fiscal package works and if we can get everybody back to work. Uh, but it seems that, you know, there's a few ifs there. But as far as uh, we're concerned here with, your color, uh, with regards to Colorado, do you have any uh, insights as regards that fiscal package and how quickly uh, that might help us? Or actually, do you think we might need more than what's already been offered? I do, I do think that the stimulus package, as it's laid out, will go quite far 
in addressing some of the very short and near-term impacts. The, the real question that remains is how long will this shuttering of, of businesses and, and reduction in, in demand last? Maybe for a little more context, there are 4.2 million adults in Colorado. If every adult in Colorado received the, the stimulus check of $1,200, that would be just over $5 billion that the federal stimulus would inject in new household spending. However, even in our estimates, so again, that's $5 billion in direct stimulus to households. However, in our estimates, we projected with just the numbers I was discussing before related to the 100, you, you mentioned 183,000 job loss which assumed a 50% reduction in retail and some service and accommodation sectors, uh, the total impact on income was closer to $9 billion, And that was a loss over a full quarter. So I think the direct stimulus will ha make a dent to the extent that this is a very short-term disruption. If this persists for multiple months and more than a quarter, it seems very likely that even the $2 trillion stimulus would not be enough to completely shore up what is lost in economic activity. Well, most of us in our business thinks it's going to be a little bit longer time than the uh, fiscal stimulus package currently uh, is suggesting for the recovery to occur. So I guess we're going to uh, hope for another fiscal stimulus package uh, in the second or third quarter of the upcoming year. If we could, uh, Representative Larson, uh, thank you for joining us today. And I'm reminded of President Teddy Roosevelt's quote uh, about the arena. It is not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles, or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who actually is in the arena. Well, Representative Larson, you are clearly in the arena, and thank you so much for your service and, and doing all you do for Colorado. Uh, before we get started, uh, how is your business doing? Atlas Coffee, it, uh, I want to make certain I come by and visit. It sounds like a good little business, but how's it doing? Well, Harold, thanks for having me on. And actually, uh, we're very fortunate, uh, my, my business partners and I, I, we've actually weathered this rather well. Under the circumstances, we've switched to takeout only uh, at both locations over the last uh, week and a half. But fortunately, coffee is uh, one of those things that doesn't have a whole lot of flexibility. It's, it's uh, I like to say, the most socially acceptable drug. So, so people still need it. huh? <laughs> exactly, yeah. So... Uh, you know, business has actually been pretty good. It has retracted a little bit, uh, but the numbers are are certainly well within um, survivability range. Uh, so we've been very fortunate in that respect. Unfortunately, I cannot say the same for some of my fellow businesses uh, in the shopping center where I operate and throughout the district. But individually, I've, Atlas Coffee has been pretty fortunate. So you're seeing some of the businesses, the small businesses that this fiscal package is intended to help, you're seeing some of them suffering, and this fiscal package will hopefully help th help them. Absolutely. True Blue, small business owner, uh, small with a capital S. But yeah, I mean, in the shopping center that my original coffee shop was in, uh, we've already seen the permanent closure of a subway location. Uh, there's a nail salon, a Pilates studio, a optometrist's office uh, that have all been closed indefinitely. 
uh, a dentist office that's also severely scaled back. They may be fully closed. So it's it's tough. And, and a lot of these small businesses are operating very tight margins. They don't have huge capital flows. So hopefully some of the provisions of this federal bill that was just passed through the House today will offer kind of that, that short-term uh, capital bridge that will allow them to keep operating. But I'm I'm worried because, yeah, I mean, these small operators, myself included, where they don't have a lot of a lot of cash reserve, a disruption like this could shut them down. Well, you know, small businesses and mid-sized businesses and entrepreneurs like you are the are the foundation of uh, Colorado's economy. And and you're down at the legislature. You're in the yep. firing line there. What is it, the, the status of the legislative session? And prior to the recess and, and or adjournment. There are a number of critical issues on the table, from energy policies to family medical leave to public health care option. The whole world uh, has shifted since then. How do you think uh, we're going to resolve the particular issues I brought up, and how do you see the legislature working its way through the budget issues that Chris and I were talking about? So to to start with the first issue, so... Yeah, the legislature, uh, we did adjourn for a two-week recess that officially ends March 30th. However, we were just speaking, the um, Republican members were just speaking uh, about a agreement that has been reached with the Democratic members where we are going to extend that recess through April 13th, which is the first business day after the current um, the governor's current stay-at-home order expires. Uh, so we, I don't expect to see any legislating uh, or legislative activity until April 13th at this point. But to get to that, e- exactly, there were a couple of major pieces of pending legislation. Like you said, the uh, a proposed uh, public-backed uh, insurance option, family medical leaves, a number of things affecting arbitration uh, that were on the calendar or immediately pending introduction on the calendar. At this point, we are not entirely sure what the status of those is going to be. Uh, you know, obviously those were, were more democratically led initiatives. My hope is that given given the severity that this you know COVID nineteen shutdown has had. Uh, the impacts it's had on business, that we would all agree that this is not the proper time or year to be pushing forward anything of that magnitude uh, that could further impede business's ability to function. I've heard from a few of my Democratic colleagues that I've been in touch with that the majority is considering pairing back the majority of its legislative agenda. There's kind of an informal suggestion put out there that any bills that are on the calendar currently that have any sort of fiscal note attached to them. We may consider, you know, killing them for this legislative session uh, and then perhaps revisiting them in in the next year if the fiscal situation improves. I hope that that extends to some of the more major policy proposals they were talking about, because exactly like right now, we passed a lot of major earth-shattering major spending bills last session and keeping more on top of that with something like a public health insurance option or paid family medical leave or dramatically remaking our tort system, I just don't think would be a proper move in this current environment. So I'm hopeful when we come back that we kind of stick to how do we navigate ourselves out of this process. I'd like to see a real focus on um, you know, cutting out unnecessary regulations reducing the regulatory burden for businesses and the healthcare sector, which I think is is going to be strained here in the next couple of weeks uh, beyond what it's ever really been strained before. So I'd like to see us focus really on, on getting through this crisis and getting our economy back into a healthy state. Well, it seems to me, Representative Larson, that you've got a kind of a 
a difficult situation in front of you. You've got a budget that it looks like it may not be quite what you anticipated. And so you've talked about any fiscal, uh, any additional spending bills maybe be curtailed for a year. And you have a population of uh, this this particular COVID-19, let's face it, has impacted middle-income America and lower-income America more so than probably any other segment. And if you put an additional burden on small, mid-sized businesses uh, beyond just trying to have economic recovery, it seems that you're you're working against yourself if you're legislating additional regulations and additional increases in fees, or, or am I missing something? No, I completely agree with you. And frankly, I'm, I'm glad that you brought up the, the disproportionate impact this is having on, on low and middle income Americans, because that's something that, that I've been acutely uh, concerned about this entire time. You know, obviously in the, in the coffee shop and restaurant business, uh, you know, a lot of my employees fall into that, you know, lower and middle income bracket. And they're some of the people that are least capable of weathering this kind of short-term disruption. And that's really what's worried me here is because unlike, unlike the last, you know, the, the great recession 10 years ago, uh, where the pain was sort of spread across all sectors and we were seeing, you know, impacts in both white collar, blue collar jobs. Here, it's almost entirely on, you know, retail, tourism, restaurants. Those are the ones that are getting hit right now. Now, obviously, if, if the duration goes much longer, we may start to see, um, you know, white collar sectors get disproportionately hit as well. But, but right now, it's, it's folks who don't have large safety nets, don't have a lot of, of cash savings or liquidity um, that are facing immediate job loss. And that, I think is going to need to be the priority once the the public health uh, component of this starts to get under control. I think we need to really look at how quickly we can get you know people back to work in these retail sectors because they don't have a lot of a lot of other options. And and again, I I hope that the legislator kind of keeps its focus there. This this large stimulus, as you alluded to earlier, uh, it does include you know about two point two billion dollars for the state, and and again about one point two billion of that is supposed to be going directly to the state uh, itself as opposed to uh, local governments, which will largely be used, I would suspect, to backfill our current budget and then, you know, some of the impact on the next state's fiscal year. Another thing that's that's kind of interesting, and I'll we'll see how this pans out, but because the uh, tax filing deadline has been extended from April 15th now until July, that actually puts the tax filing deadline into the next fiscal year. So, I'll be interested to see how that affects because our fiscal year ends June 30th. So people are no, no longer required to file their taxes until next fiscal year, which I suspect will create a, a short-term budgetary issue for the state in and of itself. Now, again, with, with this large federal stimulus coming, I suspect that we'll tap into um, a lot of those collections to, to kind of bridge the short-term issues. But yeah, I mean, this is, it's, it's truly an unprecedented fiscal situation we're in here. And I just hope that people recognize that. And, and when we come back, that it is very much a singular focus on on economic recovery and not on pushing any additional legislative agenda. Well, one of the concerns I have, Representative Larson, is that, well, you, you made a very powerful statement, which I want to repeat for, the, for those of us, uh, for those of you listening to this podcast, the $1.2 billion would backfill. If you remember earlier, I said that didn't know how much would be used for the 2019, uh, the 2020 fiscal budget versus the 2021 fiscal budget. 
And uh, I guess what I'm finding out is that the uh, budget that's already been passed will have a shortfall of monies in that $1.2 billion, to a large extent possibly, will be used to meet current expenditures. That's a staggering uh, comment if it ends up being the case, because I think what Chris and I were saying earlier, uh, that $1 billion deficit that they're forecasting for the, the fiscal year coming up could be way short of what could really materialize. So Mm -hmm. I guess the question I have for you then is, where do you cut? What do you decide not to spend your money on if the money's not there? Where do you see uh, the pain for the state state of Colorado and for the citizens? Maybe not deciding what it would be, but the areas that will be considered. Yeah. And, you know, unfortunately, so I've, I've only been in the legislature for the past session, which had up until this point been sort of boon time. So there had never really been much consideration toward budget prioritization, uh, which was an issue that I had, you know, before, but, but back when we were in good times, uh, now that we're facing a, an unprecedented crisis, it will obviously become a, a bigger problem. So traditionally, I mean, we look at the last time there was a recession and, and the state took it out of schools. You know, that's where we got the, the budget stabilization factor, because simply when you look at where money is spent in our state, two by far largest areas are, you know, healthcare and healthcare financing, uh, which uh, accounts for right around 40%, a little bit less than 40% of our budget. And then uh, spending on our schools, which is, you know, right around, I can't remember the number off the top of my head, but I, I want to say it's its right around $9 billion or so dollars, um, which is a, a huge amount of our budget. But those two numbers are, are the largest pots of money and therefore are, are typically where the state goes when there's a budget crisis to recover money. I would really not like to see us revisit that pain upon our school districts. You know, we're still sort of reeling from a lot of those uh, unfunded uh, cuts that we that we did the last recession. We were just getting to a point where we were sort of recovering there, but our teachers have been taking a, a huge uh, hit on the chin in terms of their pay. It's had a real impact on our ability to, you know, retain and recruit people. So I hope that we don't visit there. I think, frankly, where I'd like to see it, you know, after we've, of course, taking into account the transfers from federal programs, I'd like to see a lot of the smaller pieces of legislation that we've passed over the last few years, uh, particularly last year, uh, revisited. I'd like to see uh, the reinsurance program that we passed last year uh, in 2019 that, you know, had a initial fiscal note of about $20 million. Now the projected spending is about $165 million. I'd like to see the state reconsider perhaps rolling out that program. I'd also like to see it revisiting a number of the things that we passed last year uh, in regards to, you know, supplemented census outreach by about $10 million. There's a, a lot of smaller kind of nickel and dime issues and bills that we passed uh, that I'd, I'd frankly just like to see us go back and revisit and say, sure, in the 2019 fiscal situation, uh, maybe this would have made some sense. But given the current situation, we should probably reconsider making that expenditure uh, and claw back those monies if at all possible. It's going to be difficult until we actually see what the budget looks like, which hopefully we'll see in the next few weeks here uh, from the members of the Joint Budget Committee. Uh, But until we know what kind of hole we're looking at, I don't know that we're going to know where we're going to go. Because again, if, if, if we're talking about filling $100 million, uh, I think that's something we could do within with moving around existing programs, eliminating some of the things we passed in the last few years. 
if we're looking at after all of the federal monies have been settled and all of that, if we're if we're looking at, you know, a five hundred million dollar or billion dollar shortfall, then unfortunately I think we're gonna be cutting back into some of those, you know, to the bone programs like we had in previous years, uh looking at schools, looking at healthcare financing, you know, it's gonna be very painful and and frankly I'm not sure is gonna be the right way to go. But Hopefully, with the federal stabilization, we'll be looking at, at a more measured approach. We'll be able to uh, cobble together the funds by just paring back some of the, the smaller projects that we've passed in the few last couple of legislative sessions. Representative Larson, I cannot thank you enough for being on the call with us today. I, I would uh, encourage uh, you, along with our podcast listeners, to go onto our Common Sense Policy Roundtable uh, website, read the uh, study that we have done on uh, education. Uh, it talks about uh, teachers and teacher salaries and education, the success thereof that we've had in Colorado, as well as some of the challenges. And it kind of uh, puts in perspective some of the things you talked about with regards to uh, the success of our teachers and teachers pay and that whole program with regards to how do we make certain we get the very best educators and make certain they're compensated appropriately. I also want to make certain everybody is aware that we are doing this update of this project and the study that that we've just been talking about where we will be trying to identify uh, what uh, the economic choices you might have, uh, Representative Larson, um, as to what the various choices would do with regards to the short-term and long-term economic impact to the state as you might choose one over another in either trimming or eliminating various things in the budget. So hopefully we can be of use in our research and the decisions you'll be making. I want to thank everybody for being on this podcast. And uh, Chris and Representative Larson, thank you so much for the work that you've done. Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much, Earl. Thank you for listening to the Common Sense Digest. For more on today's topic, as well as our research on the most pressing public policy issues facing Colorado, please visit commonsensepolicyroundtable.org. The preceding episode, along with all others, is available on podcatchers everywhere or on our website in the News tab under CSPR Podcast. Our technical producer is John Ekstrom and Deft Communication. This has been a production of the Common Sense Policy Roundtable.